0: One is not born, but rather becomes a woman. Welcome to AMI Audiobook Review, the weekly podcast where we chat all things audiobooks. I'm your host, Ramia Amadun, technical producer Nisreen abdel joining us throughout the episode. And the quote of the week is by Simone de Beauvoir, and she wrote The Second Sex, which is where this quote is from. And I kind of find it marvelous. Now, we come off the heels of International Women's Day, celebrated and recognized on March 8th of every year. And because we're talking equity with the theme of this year, I think it's quite fitting to talk about the growth of becoming a woman, identifying with. And, of course, this comes... In all angles, we can talk about um, transitioning, we can talk about growing, understanding, developing, we can talk about learning and unlearning. There's really just so much to get into why this quote speaks so powerfully of not just sex, but gender identity, of feminism, of femininity. And I think it's just. Beautifully, beautifully put, and so simply put as well. Now, let's take a look at the CELA homepage. If you go to celalibrary.ca, you have the Center for Equitable Library Access and their entire catalog of audiobooks, DAISY, and ebooks. And on their homepage, they have three featured titles. The ones that are up there now, this is a fresh batch for all of you taking a listen every week. The House in the Pines by Anna Rays, and this is a suspense and thrillers title so check that one out if you're interested. The second one is Tell Me Pleasant Things About Immortality by Lindsay Wong. Ghost and Horror Stories. I haven't seen a ghost one up there in a while so I'm very curious about that. And the last one is Bad Cree by Jessica Johns and this is Indigenous Peoples Fiction. All fiction titles up there. Kind of cool. Again, C E L A Library.ca for your listens. Nistreen, you're joining us now because you have something that's making waves.
1: Yeah, so picture it. As you commute on your daily commute, listening to a captivating audiobook, then all of a sudden your listening is interrupted by an advertisement about, let's say, paper towel, okay? Mm-hmm. Bounty. Okay. In this case, it appears Audible is once again testing the number of ad breaks potential users will tolerate while listening to audiobooks and podcasts. And according to Good E-Reader, there seems to be a renewed effort on Audible's part to place advertisements inside some audiobooks. And... There are a number of titles that have been chosen for the limited testing program, including some books, podcasts, and Audible originals, while other titles without ads were able to opt out. So, this test is being conducted only with non members. So, you would need to sign up for um, the ads to go away, basically. And I wanted to ask you, Remya, is that convincing enough to, you know, um, sign up for a membership? I'm not gonna lie. Until you talked about this, I
0: forgot that there is a version of Audible where you don't have to sign up to be a member. Like, there's a free-ish version of Audible where, you know, you buy the books uh in non-member price that totally escaped me and i'm here thinking what are you talking about but it's (laughs) because i've been an audible member for so long right it's like if you're a spotify premium member you forget that there are (laughs) there's versions of spotify without ads no just no sign me up. um but yeah yo i think that for anyone who is an audible member you know we talk about ads interrupting all kind on all kinds of platforms right youtube videos whatever i mm-hmm. feel like i'd be so annoyed if an audiobook was interrupted with an ad so anno- more than any other platform
1: yeah i like it just ruins the moment you're so focused and and honestly i used to tolerate ads all the time you know going on youtube and everything still going on youtube however they increased the amount of ads that were Mm -hmm. that are being placed in each video so it drives me crazy every two minutes a new ad comes up and i can't i can't stand that anymore yet i'm still not a youtube member so i I don't know know if it's gonna convince me enough to pay extra for another (laughs) for another streaming service yeah that was my rant
0: (laughs) that's a hundred percent preach that's a hundred percent true i I can't afford to add any more subscriptions so luckily audible's already part of my subscription uh tier but Mm -hmm. if it's not part of yours and you're getting interrupted with ads uh think again yeah Alright, well, stick around, because we have other conversations coming up on the show, including Know Your Narrator with Sarah Hillis, where we check out the voice behind her favorite audiobook listen. This is AMI Audiobook Review, the weekly podcast where we chat all things audiobooks. And once a month, we get to know the prolific voices behind our favorite and listens we call it know your narrator and sarah hillis comes on to give us a debrief the background check and all the cool things about the narrators we love so sarah for march who have we picked
2: we've picked Lorelai king uh she's a UK based narrator, but she's recorded in America as well. She is American. She was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, mm. in in fact. Um and uh she uh she's narrated things like the Stephanie Plum series by Janet Ivanovich. If if people might know that one. I personally one of don't, Oliver's but that's
0: favorite series. Okay, cool. I yeah. thought so he
2: probably would like that. <laughs> and um um the Charlie Davidson series by Durinda Jones. And uh, many other types of books, of course, as they do. She's narrated over 400, actually, Mm. apparently. Um, And she's won several awards, of course, in her time. She was one of the first inductees to the Audible Narrators Hall of Fame, which we keep calling the Writer's Hall of Fame, which is not true. (laughs) (laughs) That's my fault. I I did that. I started that. (laughs) But the Narrators Hall of Fame... And uh, she is very well, well, well respected. I would say in her field.
0: Yeah, I mean, she's even written a book on narration.
2: She has, and it's really great. Um, yeah. She and her her like business partner, who's also been her producer before they started their business, uh, Ali Murden, uh, wrote this book called storyteller how to be an audiobook narrator and and the audio version is is very cool because they actually talk to each other like you hear them narrating each section that they wrote because Lorelai wrote from the narrator side and Allie wrote from the sort of producer director side but then they have little comments back and forth as they're as they're talking about the different parts of of of, of how to be a narrator so like Ali will say, it's not that good, you know, to argue with the producer too much. And Lorelai says, steady now, steady, you know, and <laughs> it's really, it's really funny.
0: <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, you said you checked it out. So is it a short read? Is it yeah, it's about
2: two hours and 40 minutes or something like that. It, it's it's a really short read, but it has a lot of info. Mm. It's just really concisely done.
0: Okay, and, fantastic. Uh, yeah. Well, there you go. Recommendation on the table for us. Um, Tell us more about her background, her growing up, how she ended up in narrating kind of thing. You, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. How did that yeah, end so up in Yeah,
2: so she was born in uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in 1953. She uh, lived in California with her parents later in life as a teen. And in 1981, so what, she's 28 by this time or something? Is that right? Yeah. Um, She had this thought that she would move to... Uh, either Paris or Yugoslavia. I guess her family she has ancestry from what was Yugoslavia. Mm. And um and she had to take a stop a stopover in London. And it was 3 days waiting for another flight to somewhere kind of deal. And she liked it so much she just stayed. Oh. So <laughs> she, she hung out and she hung out in uh, in the UK and and she'd done acting like she had a sort of acting uh background in various ways and she uh, she started acting in some British uh, TV shows um, she's apparently she was in Notting Hill I can't remember enough about Notting Hill to know which character she played unfortunately I know it's Hugh Grant I should just know these things but uh, anyway uh, <laughs> she was in that that's for right. sure Luckily in, not our topic. In, in like the 90s and uh, and and Rami is very excited that that she ha- is the voice of lofty on Bob the Builder.
0: Yes, this is uh, the lofty part. Is my um, you know, two cents. But I'm thinking that's who she played when she narrated on, or not narrated, played voice on Bob the Builder, which is kind of cool already. Just saying. Yeah, I'm
2: I'm pretty sure that that I had read that. Yes, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was yeah. her. So, and she has um co co produced. I think some some later Bob the Builder things like I'm not sure if they were movies or or like special mm. special Bob the Builders I guess she's been involved in keeping it going I guess Very uh, nice. which is kind of cool um, she got into narrating similar to Robin Miles she was working with somebody that's what it was she was working with a, a person on a job of some sort I don't know which job it was but they they were looking for an American voice at the RNIB to read uh, some short stories I think it was and I don't know what year this was, unfortunately, but, but she started with the RNIB, which is, of course, the Royal National Institute of Blind People, as it's called now. And, uh, she read for them and she said that it really helped to develop her craft because she didn't really understand, she didn't know that narration was a thing until she mm. did this. And then, so the guy, the guy brought her in and he thought, oh, well, we've got a studio for a whole day. We might need the whole day to do this. She got the thing done in, in a morning, basically. naturally because she just was, yeah, she, she was that good. And he was really impressed with it. And he took her out for a nice lunch and she's like, Hey, I could do this job for a living. That's really cool. Mm. And so, um, she so did, uh, she worked with r for some time. Uh, notably, she had to do a narration of Anais Nin, who of course, if you, if you know of Anais Nin, she's Henry Miller's, I don't know if they were actually married, but they were together. I think they were married and uh, she wrote very erotic literature and the B said, well, do you want a female engineer for this just to make you feel better about it? And she said, sure. And the problem was that the female engineer was just in love with this book and she just got so excited about everything. And it was just like, this wasn't the best idea, maybe. Right. Uh,
0: <laughs> the, the comfort didn't come through the way she expected. <laughs> yeah. yeah That's okay. But uh, she she did it, right? Oh yeah,
2: she yeah. did and and she learned how to to do that kind of uh, work and and she basically says, you know, you have to forget yourself when you're doing it. You have to forget your own attitudes if you if you kind of think this this sex scene or or horror scene or whatever is is weird for you. You you have to forget that because you're doing a job. And you have to do it with sincerity, but not with you know, over don't overblow it. Don't don't sound like Marilyn Monroe when you're trying to you know that kind of thing
0: that kind of over sultry and then that's actually an interesting point because when you listen to her read if it's not necessarily an erotic scene um, she has kind of a serious tone or you know very direct tone so I'm curious about her reads of funny of sultry of, of that kind of thing like character
2: yeah, she's very good actually at changing her tone, mm. as as most narrators learn to to be. I think yeah. uh, she talks about smiling more when when she reads uh, funny things, like brighter comic things. Uh, she varies her characters uh, between different pitches of her voice and different uh, accents if she needs them. Uh, she's not a huge accent person; like she she won't really do a british accent because she thinks that i'm not good at it so i'm not gonna you know i'll I'll give you a flavor of a british accent maybe but i won't like do a a perfect imitation of some regional accent in england for example kind of thing Uh, but yeah so she she uh she's very capable of reading different sorts of books uh and and because she can just vary the pacing a little bit vary the pitch uh vary the the amount of variation in the pitch, I suppose, too, like inflection or whatever. Mm. And, uh, yeah.
0: It's cool because, I mean, in all the narrators we've talked about, I think she's got the most to say and given, because she helped write the book, uh, on narrating and what that entails and all the different nuances and character building and voice building. She's got so much to say about the voice itself.
2: Oh, she does. She She's very, you know very much an advocate of protecting your voice, making sure your voice is in top form. Uh, don't don't go to loud parties every day of your life. Try not to drink alcohol the night before you're going to do a, a read because alcohol can mess with your voice. Uh, you know, um, she gives some some kinds of foods that she likes to eat, like pineapple or pineapple juice, apparently. And I've heard this from other people too; that it's good for your voice. The acidity, um, I guess. Okay. I guess it's yeah. It takes away all the the gunk that gets in the way yeah, sometimes. Right. Uh, and uh, she talks about um, you know making finding a pitch that's comfortable for you to read in if you're going to do long um, narrative passages, because you don't want to strain your voice either. And you don't want to do like vocal fry, which is like this, right? You don't want to do like, oh, you know, um, that's that's <laughs> not typical. Uh. yeah, that would be not cool. Uh, or up talk, too much up talk. Like, you don't want to do up talk because it's really annoying sometimes, you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> I love the samples, <laughs> okay? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she, yeah, she talks about how uh, narr- narration is really an interpretive, art like most of our narrators say this it's, it's an art it's you don't just sit there and read the book in front of you you have to prepare yourself uh, she does a thing with characters which is interesting that called mapping mm-hmm. where she takes the characters in and she puts on page numbers so this character's on this page this par- character is on this page and look these two characters on are on the same page or in the same chapter or something so then you have to distinguish them very carefully so that if there's no you know bob said you know, in the in the dialogue, you know, who's talking even even so. So she she does mapping to kind of make sure that her voices are distinct enough, that they that the characters are distinguishable. And uh, there's a technique she calls layering about creating a voice, if you can't sort of figure out a voice for a character just by reading the text, which sometimes you can't, uh, you can say, well, what's the gender? Okay, the gender is this or that, you know, whatever it might be. And then mm-hmm. what's the what's the accent? Maybe is there an accent? And is there a clue in the text? Uh, is there what kind of per, are they? Are they shy? Are they aggressive? Are they? And then you eventually kind of make a voice just by looking at all those attributes. And it's it's a good technical way to do it if you if you don't sort of think, oh, that sounds kind of like Uncle Joe. Let's use Uncle Joe's voice right. you know, or whatever, right?
0: It's a completely different method um, from some of the ways. I, I go back to Jim Dale because he's I'm familiar with some of the way he said he did things, which is exactly what you're talking about, right? Aunt whoever, um, and therefore this person will resemble that, like this character will resemble that person.
2: Yeah, but- she she does. She talks about the net the mapping thing as or the layering thing rather as a of. Uh, kind of a, like a last resort, right? If, right? if if you do have people you can sort of model the voices on, that's that's cool. And she makes cast lists, and then she saves them all so that if she can recycle a voice for some other character, sh- she can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, she saves cast lists. She saves her, her. I mean, of course, when she does series, uh, the characters, the main people in the series get pretty well known to her. She can slip into them as, as needed kind of thing.
0: I always wonder about that. I mean, at the end of the day, there are more characters than we give narrators credit for all, all, all the time as a rule of thumb. And I, I I, think that if I were to hypothetically be up there as a narrator, it would be just notes on notes on notes because I could never remember who did what. But I guess in a series, it would make sense because you're so familiar now, you know, two, three, potentially more books in. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, but how about emotion? So you mentioned, um, you know, the the sex scenes and those things, but how about funny reads?
2: Well, it it was really funny. She had to read um, uh, the the grandmother, um, I guess Omar will will know this, the grandmother of Stephanie Plum was talking about something in the Janet Ivanovich series, and she said uh, something about a chicken and just shoot it in the gumpy, she says. And the word gumpy just struck her so funny that she just... <laughs> She, she just laughed and, la- and she'd t- take after take after take and she couldn't stop laughing and so she had to learn a technique she had to learn to like think sad thoughts kind of the way you stop flying in peter pan right you have to you have to think sort of somber thoughts to, to oh, get yeah. the pixie dust to stop working right mm-hmm. so so sh- so and then she kind of calmed herself down uh but it, it, it can be a real challenge, especially if, if the engineer finds it funny and they give you a look because they're finding it funny. Right. And then you and you look at the what they're looking like and you just you start laughing because they're making a funny face or that kind of
0: thing. Um, it's so much worse to narrate while other people are with you.
2: Yeah, I mean, of yeah. course, they're separated by the glass, but you can see Nonetheless, the, if, yes. if she can see, like, I would be happy because I would never see anybody's faces, but... <laughs> exactly,
0: um, exactly. Um, and, then, and how about... Because she actually does say a lot about emotion, right? And how emotion plays into your uh, reads, but also the opposite, having to say, okay, real life can't get in the way right now.
2: Yeah, emotion, emotion she says emotion is it comes through the voice. The voice shows everything you mm. you are, your posture, your your rigidity or lack thereof, your your emotion. Um, and she had a call one time. Her husband had been diagnosed with cancer and she's in America. He's in the UK. She's doing a book and she has to go right back to the book mm-hmm. and, and read it. But she, she had to like get a hold of herself first because yes, it's a job. Like but it's it, it it would it was still difficult for her because again how do you keep that emotion out of your voice how do you do that and she just had to find a way to do it but it and it was a lighthearted book too uh, so any any sort of sadness that you felt would really ruin the tone of the book yeah uh, she did it but she said it was really hard
0: I, I'm I'm absolutely sure it would be anyone who works in live radio knows that this is uh definitely truth now I. I'm so curious about this thing that she does called State of Grace.
2: Oh yeah, she mentions this. It happens sometimes where she's narrating and um, the flow is just flowing so well that the words go to her eyes and out her mouth and she's not really thinking about them so her brain isn't kind of getting in the way. Uh, It's just coming out into the microphone almost of its own accord in a sense. And I think that in any anything like this you can get into a zone like that where you just kind of you're flowing well and she said it doesn't happen every time and Mm. it doesn't happen a lot but when it does it's just really cool she just thinks it's great when the prose is just working really well and and yeah you're just going and it's great
0: yeah I really like that I also like knowing about where whether our narrators enjoy this or theater or you know bringing attributes of theater into their narration has she commented on that
2: yeah, she basically says um, she likes this because of the intimacy, like a lot of the narrators have said it. She loves the intimacy of narration. Mm-hmm. You don't have to project as much. You're not trying to get to the back row of the of the room. Uh, you're just talking to one person. And sometimes when she's really getting tired, that's what she tries to do. She tries to talk to one person that she really wants to read the story to like for example her grandmother she might use her grandmother who she loves and misses and what what if I was reading this story to my grandmother I would want to put as much effort into doing that well as I could so if she's really tired at the end of the day and it can be an eight-hour day you know uh then she then she she uses her grandma which is kind of nice
0: yeah I really love that I I think that that's really nice because you can channel uh such genuine things you know, experiences, people, whatever, to put into your work. And that I think is very connective.
2: Yeah, and she, she just considers it a privilege um, when when people contact her and say, you know, I read this book and I was really down, but your voice like helped me through the downtime. She, 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 she loves getting emails like that because she it just, she gets humbled by it and she realizes, you know, this is this is a good thing for people. Like we're doing a good thing for people.
0: Yeah, she seems very engaging, you know, with the art, with the people who take in the art and also just in the vast amount of work she's done with the video gaming and uh, animation and just every kind of voice work along with being huge in the narration world for audiobooks.
2: Yeah, yeah. She's done so much work uh, in various voice fields. Um, I think she's done commercials. I think she's done, of course, BBC radio drama. Uh, That's where I first heard her. I can't name any of the dramas, unfortunately, but I have heard her several times on different BBC radio dramas. Um, And uh, uh, yeah, video games you you mentioned. uh, Again, Mm -hmm. they they sort of went over my head because I don't know what they are. (laughs) But she's done various voices for video games, which
0: is cool. Well, to be fair, uh, when I went to go check out a sample of her voice, I was like, I know this person, but I can't necessarily narrow it down because it's true. I think she's everywhere, you know, whether it's uh, <laughs> one of these big well-known series or just things in the past like Bob the Builder. So cool. Yeah. Thank you so much, Sarah. This is awesome. I, I enjoy talking about her. And I think that um, we should all check out. Tell us the title again of the, the book about narration.
2: Uh, Storyteller, How to Be an Audiobook Narrator by Lorelai King and Ellie Mirden.
0: Lovely. Awesome. Thank you so much. No problem. Sarah Hill is joining us once a month for Know Your Narrator, usually after our Sila Talk episodes. And today we featured Lorelai King. Next week we'll be checking back in with an avid audiobook listener. I'm Ramia Amuddin, host of AMI Audiobook Review with technical producer Nisreen Abdelmajid. Until next time, happy audiobook listening.